The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Welcome back to another episode of Francis Watch, sponsored by Novus Ordo Watch. With me is His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn, Rector of Most Holy Trinity Seminary and currently in Brooksville, Florida. Your Excellency, welcome. Thank you. Unfortunately, this is our first Francis Watch ever that we are doing officially without Father Chikata. In the past, he hasn't joined us for health reasons, but as most of our listeners will have learned by now, Father Chikata has passed on and his Excellency wrote a, a wonderful tribute to him uh, in the newsletter, as well as Bishop Dolan gave a wonderful eulogy for him as well. I wasn't able to be there, Your Excellency, but I'm sure the funeral was uh, was a, a moving one. Yes, it was very impressive. Uh, many people there. The church was loaded, and, and uh, I think there were 14 uh, between bishops and priests uh, uh, a clergy, let's say, ordained clergy, uh, fourteen, if I'm not mistaken, you know. So there, uh, and a lot of people came. Uh, I even saw John Weiskittle. Do you know who he is? No. He was. A, he contributed to Sacerdotium years ago, but uh, when the troubled times came, he fell in with uh, Norwood and Father Jenkins and all, and and so. Uh, he came to the wake, and I, I said hello to him, and he was very cordial. And he said, "You know, we should try to put things together." You know, and I said to him, "Well, we have nothing against them." <laughs> you know, I have, you know, I, I have no problem with them, and uh, we could uh, very easily get along with them, as far as I'm concerned. You know, so I Bye. left it that way. You know? Nope, nobody's writing any tracks about invalid orders on, on this side. No, um, no, no. So. <laughs> well, um, again, I'm sorry. I'm sure most of our listeners would have liked to have been there to pay tribute to, to Father, but I think I would encourage those who wish that they could or would like to, if you um, haven't said a prayer for the repose of his soul, please do. We do not believe in the uh, Santo Subito uh, life of the Nova Sordo. <laughs> And uh, I was I, I was recalling, Father. I think there was um, a pope. Uh, was it Saint Bonaventure that died at the the council um, in which the accord was signed with the Eastern with the uh, with the, the Eastern schismatics? He died during the council or shortly thereafter. And the pope asked for all of the clergy of the world to say a mass. And and of course he wasn't called Saint Bonaventure while he was alive, but everybody knew who this person was. So even when you are in the presence of, of someone of convincing holiness, the church doesn't presume to do that. You ask Never. for prayers, you ask for requiem masses. And so yes. I, I would ask for uh, people, if you would like to contribute to a stipend, um, ask one of your local priests, or you can ask MHT Seminary or, or a SGD to have masses said for Father Chikata. So unfortunately, you're stuck with His Excellency and I were much less funny than Father Jakarta. So Francis Watch will take a, a turn for the less funny now, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> we'll, 
we'll, we'll try our best to, to make up a little bit for, for Father Chicada's absence. Uh, we're going to cover just a couple moments of Francis prior to attempting to cover some of the Fratelli Tutti encyclical. Like, I, I want to say Fruity Tutti, uh, your, <laughs> your Excellency, because that, that's what it is. Uh, but before that, we'll get to a, a couple a couple news stories. In September of this year, so last month, Francis tells parents of sodomites that God loves your children as they are. The story is from Nova Sorda Watch. She told the Pope that she is the mother of a son who is gay and who left the church because he did not feel accepted in his diversity. She explained how, thanks to her son, she changed her way of seeing things. And like other persons in the same situation, after being destabilized at first on learning of her son's homosexuality, she has come to see that we are fortunate parents. She said the Pope in response assured her and the other parents present that God loves our children because they are all children of God. And when she requested that the church too should change its ways so that no one feels excluded, Francis reassured them saying, the church loves our children as they are. Well, there, there's uh, a great deal to say about that. First of all, same-sex attraction is a disorder. Right? It's, a, it's a disorder of the sexual appetite, whereby the sexual appetite does not match the biology of the person. And it's a disorder, just like any disorder. Um, uh, being dyslexic or uh, having Asperger's or various other disorders of any type. It's just a disorder, right? So the cause of it is unknown. Some say it's genetic. Some say it's in environmental. It's, it's learned. Uh, and, uh, but uh, it, uh, it's there, you know? Okay, so, uh, the, so the attraction is a disorder. So you could never be proud of a disorder or call a disorder something ordered any more than you would uh, call uh, you know, dyslexia something good and to be proud of. It, it's a problem that you have, you see? So the same is true of, of somebody that has that attraction. But the attraction is not a sin. It's a disorder. The, the sin is in the will. Sin is in uh, desiring or practicing uh, homosexual acts. Okay, so, so that there is a confusion there. So to say, well, you know, to to say that uh, you know God does not love homosexuals. That is, if you mean those with homosexual attraction only, uh, that would be wrong because God God loves everybody despite whatever problems you may have. The, however, if you're talking about homosexual sins, which is usually what that means, that is a practicing homosexual, uh, then obviously God detests the sin. Now, God always loves the sinner, but he detests the sin. So that you, that's the first distinction to make. Uh, and the, uh, so, but any kind of rejoicing in the disorder is something itself disordered. You cannot rejoice in something that is is a mistake, which is a problem. It's just wrong, and and so the the church has to treat it that way. And uh, so, you know, confessors would always give people uh, of that inclination uh, certain advice, and uh, that they had to do their best to to lead a life of just about perfect chastity. 
even though I've never been a parent, Your Excellency, I feel like I've just seen this situation happen so many times in which parents change their beliefs to accommodate the life of their children. So if their children go do something that's not acceptable, the parents, instead of shunning them, I think you shared numerous times that you know of Catholic families who've threatened, <laughs> if, you ever, if you ever do something outside the faith, you will be cut off. Uh, instead of families acting in that way, they just accommodate their children's practices and incorporate that into their belief system. And I think that's what happened to this lady. Yes, it's known as child worship. And when you worship your child, you're essentially worshiping yourself. It is, uh, my child uh, cannot have a problem or uh, my child is not defective in any way because that would reflect upon me. So it's uh, so that the uh, so therefore the there is a move to justify the disorder as something ordered and as something just uh, you know an alternative way of of being attracted uh, and not something which uh, it leads ultimately to perversion. So then this idea of elevating that disorder to something normal and. Uh, and uh, giving the person who has the disorder the right to perform homosexual acts is the the plague today. That that's and and typically parents will do that. You know, I accept my child the way he is, and uh, th- that that's what that means usually. You know, it does not mean I understand my child has a disorder, but I still love him. There's nothing wrong with that. It's uh, somehow elevating the disorder to merely an alternative way of living. So they will accept the same-sex marriage and, uh, and the whole, the works. Well, I've got another disorder for you, uh, Your Excellency. Uh, this is from August. And again, from Nova Sorda Watch, the, the story, uh, Bergoglio praises a nun for building homes for transgenders and says, God did not go to the seminary or study theology. <laughs> According to the nun, she had written to the Pope telling him about the inauguration of her new housing complex and received a reply telling her that God, who did not go to the seminary or study theology, will repay you abundantly for the work she has done. In the brief response, Francis told her that he is praying for her and the transgender women she is assisting, adding, don't forget to pray for me. May Jesus bless you and the Holy Virgin guide you. So, so Sister Monica says, he never opposed what I do. And for me, it is a great support. Recalling one visit from then Cardinal Bergoglio in 2009, in which he told her not to abandon her border work, which the Lord gave you, and to contact him if she were ever in need. In a letter received from Francis in 2017, he told her that he was praying for her and the convent. And on another occasion, he wrote expressing opposition to discrimination against transgender individuals, saying, at the time of Jesus, lepers were discarded like this. <laughs> Well, that's a re- an absolutely absurd comparison. Uh, being a leper is not your own fault. Being a transgender is your own fault. Uh, the church teaches that any mutilation of the body uh, is uh, a mortal sin unless there is, well, you could have a light one, like a tattoo or uh, having your ears pierced. That's a light mutilation of the body. But any any kind of gender mutilation is certainly a mortal sin. Uh because it's not your body to to dispose of, so to speak. In other words, it, it, you 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 don't have the right to 
to do whatever you want with your body. It, you, it belongs to God, and you have been created in a certain way by God. And to alter your, your gender that way, or attempt to, you can't really alter your gender, but to attempt to uh, is something that is very serious. So, you know, to harbor these people, they should be told to go back to their original gender and, and uh, be content to stay there and save their souls as best they can. But to harbor them as if there was some sort of justifiable reason to do that is wrong because, it, again, it shows consent. It, I'm, and, just, I'm yes. puzzled by the statement, God who did not go to the seminary or study theology will repay you abundantly. I mean, it seems totally gratuitous. Well, it, it's insanity. It's an absurd statement, uh, obviously. It just it, uh, holds in contempt Catholic doctrine. So he, God doesn't believe in Catholic doctrine. That's essentially what she's saying. Mm-hmm. See, so uh, that, that he, we don't have to go by the textbook on this because God didn't use a textbook. I mean, it's so asinine that it's hardly worth responding to. And with that, you're going to say I'll move to one final story. We, it was September, August, and then this one is from July. It was a tweet on the 14th of July, as we know, a very terrible day in France. On the day of judgment, we will not be judged for our ideas, but for the compassion we have shown to others. What do you think of that theory, Your Excellency? Well, they, they, uh, what comes to mind first is, uh, what is what our Lord said in St. Mark, those who do not believe shall be condemned, that he commands the apostles to t- preach to the whole world, to every creature, and those who do not believe shall be condemned. So this is obviously against the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the, uh, the whole purpose of our Lord's coming was to, to teach the truth, sanctify them in truth, he said to his father at the Last Supper. In, in the great prayer of John 17, sanctify them in truth. That happens to be the motto of my coat of arms, too. Um, that there is no approach to God without first embracing the truth. That's why the questions are put to you at baptism. What dost thou ask of the church of God? Answer faith. What does faith give thee? Life everlasting. So the, the faith is the basis of all eternal salvation. What he is doing is, again, transforming Catholicism into pure naturalistic humanism. See, our compassion for one another, uh, not what we believed. This is contrary to all Catholic teaching, the whole history of the Catholic Church, everything the Catholic Church ever ever taught. It's contrary to the Council of Florence. It's, it's, uh, it, 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 it's, it's just a complete revolt or revolution against the Catholic faith. I mean, I, I can't think of anything in the world that's more chock full of ideas than the Catholic faith. <laughs> yes. we have, there are so many ideas. They happen to also be true. I, I recall a sermon, I think it was maybe a couple Sundays ago that you gave it now, that uh, in which you said, we, we could do better without electricity or water than the truth. Yes. yes. And the that's truth right. is the basis of our ideas. Yes. And so he's saying, we don't need the truth. We just need, all, I, I, to, to paraphrase him, all we need is love. Yes, but even that is a truth. Because the mind cannot escape a truth. What he's saying, <laughs> if we say we don't need dogmas, all we need is compassion, you have a dogma there. Because <laughs> the mind cannot escape it. Well, it's very true, Your Excellency. Yeah. Uh, and and with, with that, we'll segue into our review of this 
so-called encyclical uh, Fratelli Tutti, which is just horribly was horribly put put forward on Saint Francis's feast day, which I'm sure Saint Francis was not amused. No. And unfortunately, the encyclical starts by reference to Saint Francis. So the first, uh, and we'll refer to the paragraph numbers as as we read through this. So paragraphs three and four. Paragraph three. Unconcerned for the hardships and dangers involved, St. Francis went to meet the Sultan with the same attitude that he instilled in his disciples. They found themselves among the Saracens and other non-believers. Without renouncing their own identity, they were not to engage in arguments or disputes, but to be subject to every human creature for God's sake. And for Francis did not wage a war of words aimed at imposing doctrines, he simply spread the love of God. So again, Your Excellency, uh, along the lines of that July tweet, there is an opposition between doctrine and love. The two are disconnected. Yeah, this is a constant theme of Bergoglio, is that uh, proselytism is all nonsense. The idea of preaching the gospel to people, trying to convert people, that's all nonsense, he said. And uh, dogmas concerning the Trinity, there's, there's no Catholic God, remember that? And by the way, Father Chicada had that on his desk, picture of Bergoglio saying, there is no Catholic God uh, at, at, uh, under the glass on his desk. I, I went into his <laughs> office and there it was. Uh, and Bergoglio, not a very complimentary pose either. And, uh, but you know, he is avidly anti-dogma. Uh, uh, and he, that, that's the whole idea of the transformation of Christianity uh, and that means Catholicism, into a, uh, a naturalistic humanism, dogmaless humanism. And I may have mentioned in other uh, places, uh, you know, in, in this series, the work by Monseigneur de la Suisse, who wrote the, uh, the anti-Christian conspiracy around the time of Pius X, three volumes, it's in French, uh, and, uh, which is available, by the way. Uh, and that's what he said, it is that the whole goal is to transform the Catholic Church into dogmaless humanitarianism. You have to keep that in mind in all of this. So you mm. destroy dogma and you replace it with just being nice. And, and we, we all get along by being nice. Uh, and uh, uh, so this has been in the works for ages Ages and ages, you know. This, this, he is the at at the top of a like a, a surfer coming in on a wave, like a really big wave on the top of that wave, and that wave has been prepared way out in the ocean for a long time, mm. and and he's just putting the the final touches on it, and that, that's what this encyclical is, and we'll see that. This is. Uh, I was fortunate. I, you're, see, I did not have to read this all by myself. I, I split it up with the True Restoration team, so a lot of uh, kudos and thanks to them for reading this so uh, our listeners didn't have to. Mm. But one of them inserted some quotes from St. Francis to the Sultan, and mm -hmm. they, they sound pretty rigid to me. Uh, I am sent not by men, but by the Most High God to show you and your people the way of salvation by announcing to you the truth of the gospel. Hmm. Slightly different from what we heard out of the mouth of Bergoglio. If you and your people will listen to the word of God, I will with joy stay with you. If yet you waver between Christ and Muhammad, cause a great fire to be kindled, 
and I will go into it with your imams that you may see which is the true faith. Ooh, that's electrifying, Your Excellency. Just yes, this, yes, this, it is. He was the conviction of Saint Francis, and he would yes. have too. We'd yes, have had a great, have, we'd yes. have had a great story out of that. I yes. was just reading. Um, it was was it Saint Stanislaus's feast day? I, I I'm sometimes, Your Excellency. I, I'm getting old, and I can't remember these things. I was reading in the liturgical year about uh, the boy that Saint Stanislaus raised from the dead. Mm-hmm. that uh, his relatives were turned against him by the, the civil authority and they were accusing him of stealing some land. And St. Stanislaus prayed about it, thought, okay, well, I can ask our Lord to bring back this boy. And the boy, oh, that's what it was. I was reading uh, in the Father Shoup's book on purgatory. And he, the boy came into the courtroom and testified that, yes, he did give the land to St. Stanislaus. Mm. And... Um, and then Saint Stanislaus said, "Would you would you like to uh, like to stay? Uh, we can ask our Lord for that." He says, "No, I'm in purgatory, and I need to." Uh, he would rather be in purgatory than here <laughs> on, mm. on Earth, Your Excellency. But um, just well, the, the the confidence that the saints have, something like what Saint Francis said, "I will kindle a great fire, and I will go." Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, they, that that is comes with the grace of God, though. I mean, you wouldn't do that on your own. You right, would be inspired to do that. Yes, but these are these are the sorts of things, and they're not about quote unquote simply spreading the love of God. Uh, there is there is a great testimony here. Mm-hmm. Again, speaking for our Lord, Francis says in paragraph two thirty eight, Jesus never promoted violence or intolerance. He openly condemned the use of force to gain power over others. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones are tyrants over them, it will not be so among you. Instead, the gospel tells us to forgive 70 times 7 and offers the example of the unmerciful servant who was himself forgiven, yet unable to forgive others in turn. Again, uh, if you're speaking about personal injuries, that's our Lord is referring to personal injuries. That is, if somebody does something or says something bad against you, uh, you're supposed to forgive them, of course, but uh, the, if he means uh, by use of force to gain power, if he means spreading the gospel, what does he mean by that? Uh, the uh, then that's obviously false because they were told to spread the gospel. Uh, so again, it's a it's a it's just a mix of things that he's saying here, and he's misapplying. Uh, you know, the, the gospel to something that, that, that just it doesn't apply to. There's maybe a dozen paragraphs here under what I've called the bomb fog, as you referred to in the past, Your Excellency, the brotherhood mm-hmm. of man, the fatherhood of God. We, mm-hmm. we know this refrain. And uh, I, there, I think there's a lot here. So I think I will, I will read until you, you tell me to stop, or I think I might stop at, at certain points. But the first is paragraph six, just uh, an introduction, I suppose. I offer this social encyclical as a mod- modest contribution to continued reflection in the hope that in the face of present-day attempts to eliminate or ignore others, we may prove capable of responding with a new vision of fraternity and social friendship that will not remain at the level of words. Well, again, this is human fraternity replacing supernatural charity. He's talking as if the church had never practiced supernatural charity in the 2,000 years of its existence. Uh, and replacing, you see, a new vision 
of fraternity and social friendship. That's a nice word for socialism. Modernists love to use the word new or they use the word deepening. Mm-hmm. Right, so, yes. you know, what's, what's new? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, fill us in, please. Uh, in paragraph eight, it is my desire that in this our time, by acknowledging the dignity of each human person, we can contribute to the rebirth of a universal aspiration to fraternity. That's very typically Masonic. Human dignity, understood in a naturalistic sense, is totally Masonic. Uh, That is, uh, you see, human dignity, there is a true human dignity, which arises from uh, his creation in the image of God and his elevation in grace, right? In other words, by the redemption. That is human dignity, uh, that that he is an image of God uh, in his nature. Uh, that is human dignity. What he's talking about here is uh, that each person, you know, apart from their uh, image of God and apart from uh, their moral life, has a dignity that has to be respected. Is totally naturalistic. Uh, the uh, completely naturalistic and uh, the rebirth of a uni- universal aspiration of re- for, to fraternity. What what is he talking about? A rebirth. What is the fraternal charity of the Catholic Church that was spread by the gospel? A universal aspiration to fraternity. This is totally Masonic. All right. So you know you have to. It's. It's just getting more and more apparent, that's all. It has always been there since Vatican II. It has always been there. It's just getting more and more apparent, more and more bold. So. He continues on in paragraph eight. Let us dream then as a single human family, as fellow travelers sharing the same flesh, as children of the same earth, which is our common home, each of us bringing the richness of his or her beliefs and convictions, each of us with his or her own voice, brothers and sisters all. Well, of course, uh, using the grammatical uh, the, the grammatical function that doesn't work in Italian, which apparently this is what originally in referring to his or her using this inclusive language, uh, echoing the idea of children of the same earth. But remember, Your Excellency, we have the richness of his or her beliefs and con- convictions, terribly insensitive to the transgenders to exclude those their pronouns as well, I think. Yeah, I think so. He's he's a very insensitive person. But the richness of his or her beliefs and convictions, well, I mean, what about devil worshippers and and what about uh, the the, Ameri- the American Indians who you know the cannibals and who worship demons and who did you know perform various uh, uh, filthy and brutal acts in order to perform their their religious functions. I mean, the history of, of the human race with regard to religion is so abominable that it's indescribable. Even the Egyptians worshiping uh, goats, or rather uh, bulls and the sun, uh, the worship of the golden calf, which was considered an abomination and for which uh, many people died at the command of God. Uh, is that a richness of belief? And and convictions. I mean, they were convinced that the calf was God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> you know, behold, O Israel, your gods. Yeah, they, I mean, the whole history of Israel is is punishment and then reform, punishment and then contrition for having worshipped false gods. I mean, one after the other, again and again and again. I mean, Solomon with his his idols and all of his harlots and all, and then uh, the Moloch worship and the. You know, going to the false gods of the Gentiles. That that is, uh, it's it's one after the other, and and you know, richness of beliefs. The only t- rich belief there is is the truth. Everything else is falsehood and 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 the work of the devil. Paragraph paragraph forty six. We should also recognize that destructive forms of fanaticism are at times found among religious believers, including Christians. They, too, can be caught up in networks of verbal violence through the Internet and the various forms of digital communication. Even in Catholic media, limits can be overstepped, defamation and slander can become commonplace, and all ethical standards and respect for the good name of others can be abandoned. How can this contribute to the fraternity that our common father asks of us? Well, you know, maybe to avoid that, maybe they should behave themselves a little bit more, and they wouldn't have those things on the internet. <laughs> uh, you know, the uh, yeah, this is his typical, you know, very trite attack upon what he calls fundamentalism. You see that there's destructive forms of fanaticism. You see that means you actually believe in God, and <laughs> that you you think that everyone should believe in God and that you believe that the Catholic faith is the one true faith, that there is no salvation to be found outside of the Catholic Church, and that, uh, that these are, you know, uh, you know it's, it's people who believe in dogma. And, and it's the same old stuff that he's been saying for, since 2013. I mean, it's, it's uh, as we used to say, it's a broken record. They don't have records anymore, except Joe Biden, he believes in record players. Remember that? The, uh, and even I wouldn't say that. I, I'm from the night I was born in 1950, so you know I remember record players. But even I would not call something a record player. I know you, you might not believe this, Rexy, but because it's so uh, so um, it's considered vintage now, and so all the cool kids these days are buying records. Oh, if you, really? if you okay. can if you can believe it. But they're oh. they're so expensive, and then you have to go find a record player. But yes. people find it find it quite cool, you could say, to to uh, get records. But yeah. Joe Biden well, and and the cool kids, you could say, yes. But this uh, uh, this is this is an attack on any kind of religious conviction. Let's let's put it that way. That is exclusive of its opposite error. That's what this is. Especially when you read the rest of this this encyclical. This is an attack upon that. So anybody at all, whether it's even Protestants who who, who would say that uh, you know the, the sacred scripture is is the word of God and is true and must be adhered to, that's bad. And uh, how can this contribute? He says to the fraternity that our common Father asks of us. That means that we have to eliminate all dogma in order to establish this fraternity that he's talking about. Notice how much the word, that word comes up. This is the purpose of it, to mm. establish humanity as one big mass, dogmaless mass, where everybody is 
you know, believes in nothing essentially, and everything is a personal belief, and what you believe doesn't matter, what you do doesn't matter, what what your you know, morality is doesn't matter. You're you're a human being, you have human dignity. You know, I respect you for that. That's that's what he's building here. This is a print, a printed, engraved invitation to the Antichrist to rule over this world. That's what this this encyclical is, and I think it is very alarming, especially the timing of it. Uh, when you think of the, the the you know when you put everything together, the COVID virus. And the all of the globalization and, and and disruption that has been caused by that, for this to come out now, and and also all of the Antifa stuff, uh, the uh, uh, you can see a revolution brewing. Uh, the, the it seems like they they're ready to put it all in place. It seems to me, you know, or I I I have a question mark about it. It, it the timing of it is very odd. Uh, and I mean, he's always been getting at these things, but this is so explicit. I mean, you know, it, it's it's like the advent of Antichrist. You know, come, you know, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, uh, come, oh, come, oh, Antichrist. Let's put the world together on dogmaless fraternity, and then we'll see later in this where he's called for calling for a world government and, and world socialism. As you point out here, Susie, I'm thinking about it in terms of it's we're coming to the end of the liturgical year as well. Yes. So we're still sometimes away. And the end of the liturgical year will be somewhat close to the U.S. election, which yes. I think will be the end of the world for some people, at least, <laughs> <laughs> when the president gets reelected. Yeah. Um, he, he continues on here, paragraph 50. Together, we can seek the truth in dialogue, in relaxed conversation or in passionate debate. The process of building fraternity, be it local or universal, can only be undertaken by spirits that are free and open to authentic encounters. We've seen that many, many times on Francis Watch over the years. He continues on in paragraph 62, yet this call to love could be misunderstood. St. Paul recognizing the temptation of the earliest Christian communities to form closed and isolated groups urged his disciples to abound in love for one another and for all. Never did I hear, you know, I'm 70 now, and all of my years of being a Catholic and a Catholic priest and bishop, I never ever heard the accusation or saw in any book that St. Paul thought that his groups were, were closed and isolated. Uh, he very often warned them against being infected by the pagan culture. That he did, Corinthians particularly, and... Others, Romans too, uh, and the uh, there was that was a very difficult thing. Uh, you know, it was they it was a natural tendency, I should say, in the early church to to remain uh, aloof of the pagan culture, uh, and it was difficult because they had to serve in the army and and other things, and they they could not participate even in certain ceremonies of uh, giving out awards in the army because they involved uh, worshiping the gods. So, I mean, the, the, uh, the church always isolated itself against paganism, uh, paganism and uh, because it has to preserve itself from infection, just as you must isolate yourself from coronavirus. <laughs> in paragraph 127, 
Certainly, all this calls for an alternative way of thinking. Without an attempt to enter into that way of thinking, what I am saying here will sound wildly unrealistic. On the other hand, if we accept the great principle that there are rights born of our inalienable, inalienable human dignity, we can rise to the challenge of envisaging a new humanity. We can aspire to a world that provides land, housing, and work for all. This is the true path of peace, not the senseless and myopic strategy of sowing fear and mistrust in the face of outside threats. For a real and lasting peace will only be possible on the basis of a global ethic of solidarity and cooperation in the service of a future shaped by interdependence and shared responsibility in the whole human family. Uh, to quote Father Chikata, I mean, this is a Franken monster of some kind, but there's a cue right before it, Your Excellency, for a real and lasting peace will only be possible. And then you're waiting for someone to say, in our Lord Jesus Christ right. and his church, right? That's what's yeah. supposed to go right yes. after that, that phrase. Yes. And he, we're then hit with some UN NGO speak. On the yes. basis of a global ethic of solidarity and cooperation in the service of a future shaped by interdependence and shared responsibility in the whole human family, it is a God-free zone, a Christ-free zone, a church-free zone. Yes, and it's also world socialism. Solidarity, uh, making housing, land housing, and work for all. That's socialism. That's 40 acres and a mule. Yes, or, you know, those, those apartments in Soviet Russia that, as I always say, you wouldn't put your dog in. And you know how I feel <laughs> about dogs. The, I mean, it, it, socialism it, it is so degrading to the human being, so totally degrading to the human being. And this is what he's asking for. I mean, are we all supposed to live the way they live in Venezuela or Cuba? Is that what he wants, uh, apparently? You know, and... and, and you know, what's wrong with people striving to work for a living and to get ahead and to be entrepreneurs and to excel? Why is that bad? See? And does that exclude helping people who are poor? No. If someone is really down and out through no fault of his own, not because he's a lazy drunk, or a drug addict, or some other, you know, uh, self-inflicted problem, uh, but because he's down and out, of course the the government should help those people. Of course the church should help those people. Individuals should help those people. That's on the on the uh, on the title of charity. See that that of course that's true. Uh, but the the to say that that uh, I mean it's. It, <laughs> Everybody's going to have land and and uh, uh, you know housing, etc., and you know, a job, and everyone's going to be equal. We're all going to make the same wage. I mean, what what kind of a a world does he live in? Not only that, it it, it doesn't take our Lord at His word when He says, "The poor you will always have with you." Right. He didn't say until Bergoglio comes, and then right. it'll be all fixed. Right. The poor you will always have with you means this is not a solvable problem. Right. And so he's seeking for a solution to a problem that our Lord says is not solvable. No, these are the socialist dreamers. And again, this is an open invitation to the Antichrist. This is organization of the world under a world socialist system. 
and the disintegration of nations, where the nations become merely provinces of the, the world government. And he's going to go on about that later in this. I think we've written these next paragraphs, you'll see paragraph 191. At a time when various forms of fundamentalist intolerance are damaging relationships between individuals, groups, and peoples, let us be committed to living and teaching the value of respect for others, a love capable of welcoming differences, and the priority of the dignity of every human being over his or her ideas, opinions, practices, and even sins. Yes. You see, that, that no matter what you think, uh, what you do, or what sins you commit, you retain your human dignity. And it has a priority. Yes. You see, so that means do think whatever you want, belong to whatever religion you please, be an atheist if you want, have whatever opinion you want, uh, do whatever you want, sin however you please, but you're a human being, and I'm a human being, and we, we respect each other. <laughs> Except if you're a Republican. <laughs> See, then, then all, all bets are off if you're a Republican. <laughs> if you're going to vote for Trump, then forget about it. Then, then you're wicked, and you're evil, and you need to be exterminated. Yes, or, or and and after it's announced that you that the president has it, you pray, uh, you quote unquote pray that he dies of it. Uh, yes. the, 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 there's a uh, the satirical sites people who claim to uh, want health care for people uh, hope for the president to die after he uh, after he gets the virus. But but uh, it, uh, numerous tweets have come out if if a seventy year old overweight man can recover 74. from Corona. 74-year-old overweight man can recover from coronavirus in three days. Why are we wearing masks? Right. Right. He said, I've never felt better in 20 years. <laughs> and I saw the video of him after he got out. I mean, he looked great. He was uh, very energetic. I mean, he didn't look uh, – he, he looked great. And uh, the uh, – yeah, he, he's doing all sorts of things now. He's very active and – you know, it's almost good for your health to come down with it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, someone had said it's not even the flu. It looks like a cold, essentially, the way the president dealt with it. It was in and out of the hospital. So um, maybe the October surprise was that the president got coronavirus and showed it was no big deal. Uh, who, who knows? I would like to know why the whole White House staff came down with it. Uh, I mean... Well, we're, we're getting a little. We're getting a little off the off the road from Francis watch, but but uh, but I think again, it's uh, this idea, as you say, there is a dignity of a human person unless they vote for Trump, and and then yes. they have no, no then, dignity. Then yeah, that, there's no dignity there. Forget it. All that's all retracted. Even even as forms of fanaticism, closed-mindedness, and social and cultural fragmentation proliferate in present-day society, a good politician will take the first step and insists that different voices be heard. Disagreements may well give rise to conflicts, but uniformity proves stifling and leads to cultural decay. May we not be content with being enclosed in one fragment of reality. Hmm. I seem to recall Christendom was a uniformity, but <laughs> apparently great cathedrals like Notre Dame and Chartres uh, were signs of cultural decay. Yes, yes, that's why they wanted to take them down in the French Revolution. Uh, the uh, uh, no, he's he's setting up the false principle that diversity is something good. Diversity in itself is not good. It, it causes 
disunion or, or lack of unity in itself. There has to be a principle of unity that in some way draws diversity together in order to make something work. So that's true even in art, like the, the Great Rose Window of Notre Dame. There's a great diversity there of color and glass and stone. But there is a unity, and that is if there's a single circle and it's all put together in one big piece. And it's the, it's the unity that brings together the diversity that makes for a, a good thing. In this country, for example, there's a lot of diversity. But what makes it a great country is its unity. That you can go from Hawaii to Maine, uh, to Guam, to all sorts of places, and it's the same Americans. This, even though they, they're all different in various ways, there's something common about everybody. Do you feel uh, you can still say that in the present tense? You're, so are you, or are you thinking of your childhood? I would say that in the present tense. Yes. Uh, even, you know, uh, people that, that uh, don't speak English too well. And, and it was th- there's a, a certain unified culture in this country, which makes it a great country. It's uh, not unlike Europe, where there's so many cultures, they all hate each other. And, you know, everybody, <laughs> Eastern Europe, everybody hates each other. And even within, you know, there's hatreds and, you know, there's uh, the, they all want to break up into these tiny little countries and, you know, the, the, uh, but you know, the, the strength of America is its unity. It's, it's unity of culture. It's economic unity. It's, you can spend the same dollar in Hawaii as you can in Maine. Uh, it, it has a single economy. It's borderless. Its states are borderless. I mean, even the EU is still plenty of borders. You know, they still haven't gotten that idea that you just, cross into another, you know, there's all sorts of, they, there are still independent countries that have some sort of agreements here, there, and the other place. But I mean, that EU is a big failure uh, as, as uh, it'll never be what it's meant to be uh, or what they want it to be, which is another dream of the socialists. Uh, it was the EU and it was called for by all of the, the uh, oh, the early uh, enemies of the church and the, you know, all of the wrong people the United States of Europe. I think the Illuminati called for the United States of Europe. Mm. Uh, and so that, that he's talking about the disintegration of actually the strengths of Europe, which is its historical races and the historical cultures of those races. That is the strength of Europe. That's why Europe exported all of its culture throughout the whole world. The whole world. I mean, what a relatively small area when you think of England, France, especially. I mean, those, the whole world, it's European. Mm. You know, we're Europeans. It was, I'm speaking a European language. Uh, so do you occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> That's its tremendous force. It is that culture which was formed by Catholicism. Uh, the elevation of the barbarian world and the pagan world by Catholicism is the whole strength uh, of Europe. Uh, and the, the whole idea of you know, bringing in all these migrants and all that, that is to break down that strength of Europe. Uh, and the same thing here, causing all of this Antifa stuff. This is not a racist country. And I, as I said in one of my 
newsletters. It's a behaviorist country. If you have civic, basic civic, civic virtues, you're, you're nice, you're, you're clean, you work, or at least try to work and support yourself, those things make you acceptable. It doesn't matter what race you are, what language you speak, anything else, those things make you acceptable in this country. I mean, that's true. There is, you know, for eight years we had a black president and a black first lady. This is a racist country? You know, I mean, it's ridiculous. But you see, the, the, the subversion is to cause uh, clashes, They're just like a social, uh, you know, the communism is the, the clashes of, of economic clashes and classes, you know, to, to, to oppose one to another. That, that is, uh, that's the purpose of these, these riots and all of these other things, uh, in my opinion, is to cause a, uh, a, a disunity, a, you know, a diversity, uh, <clears throat> and um, that is very, very destructive. It will ruin the very strength of, of this country, absolutely ruin it, and it will ruin the strength of Europe. Well, Bergoglio has a solution, Your Excellency, in paragraph okay. 192. In this regard, Grand Imam Ahmed Al-Tayeb and I have called upon the architects of international policy and world economy to work strenuously to spread the culture of tolerance and of living together in peace, to intervene at the earliest opportunity to stop the shedding of innocent blood. When a specific policy sows hatred and fear towards other nations in the name of its own country's welfare, there is need to be concerned to react in time and immediately to correct the course. So we need the UN and the World Bank and the IMF to intervene. Yes, and historically the UN has proven itself to be a very effective uh, <laughs> organization in preventing war, hasn't it? <laughs> Quite. Yeah, really effective. <laughs> it is just a big blood-sucking uh, organization. By blood, I mean money and a place for diplomats to have uh, diplomatic license plates in New York where they can park wherever they want. I mean, it's, it's just a, a big, cushy, uh, uh, I would just say, you know, a group of people that are living off the fat of the United States, which supports most of it. The day that we get out of that thing is, is, is the, will be the best day in a long, long time. Just dump it. It is the product of El the communist loving. Eleanor Roosevelt, and the communist agent, Alger Hiss. They are the prime movers of the UN in the late 40s. We can wait for that second term, Your Excellency, and then uh, oh, the president so. can, can defund the, <laughs> defund the UN. Has an enormous amount of political capital to spend. <laughs> well, he has more political capital than he has money. <laughs> and where he is off the leash... Uh, we, we're just hoping for that, yes. Yes. And the last one in this first, uh, first theme of the Brotherhood of Man, Fatherhood of God, paragraph 221, such a covenant also demands the realization that some things may have to be renounced for the common good. No one can possess the whole truth or satisfy his or her every desire, since that pretension would lead to nullifying others by denying their rights. A false notion of tolerance has to give way to a dialogic realism on the part of men and women who remain faithful to their own principles while recognizing that others also have the right to do likewise. 
This is the genuine acknowledgement of the other that is made possible by love alone. We have to stand in the place of others if we are to discover what is genuine, or at least understandable, in their motivations and concerns. So when, uh, when for example, leftists say that uh, women should have the right to kill their babies in their wombs, do we have to respect that? Is that, you know, something that's... Uh, or, or like the governor of Virginia, where if the baby happens to be born through some sort of glitch in the abortion process, uh, that they can have a discussion as to whether to kill it or not. We are we to respect that? And as, let's see, you know, we have to have a dialogue. I guess they're having a dialogue about whether to kill it or not. All right. What about the the ideas of the Nazis? Do we have to respect the ideas of the Nazis? Or, or the fascists in Italy during the 1930s? The, he, he, he's saying that no one can possess the whole truth. Right. Right. So, uh, you know, is all these things have to be respected? I mean, this is an abandonment of the very notion of truth. This is uh, a, a putting skepticism on a pedestal. But it really is the, you know, underneath this is the abandonment of religious dogma. Obviously, he would say, oh, no, Nazism is real bad. You <laughs> see? And, uh, you know, the, so were we wrong, you know, to, to oppose Nazism and to declare war on Nazi Germany? Is that wrong? <laughs> As part of this as he's been talking about fraternity, he's also, he uses the term religions. Uh, and in three paragraphs, which I've headed, religions are here to show us how to live together. Paragraph 271, the different religions based on their respect for each human person as a creature called to be a child of God contribute significantly to building fraternity and defending justice in society. Dialogue between the followers of different religions does not take place simply for the sake of diplomacy, consideration, or tolerance. In the words of the bishops of India, the goal of dialogue is to establish friendship, peace, and harmony, and to share spiritual and moral values and experiences in a spirit of truth and love. So it's not about conversion, it's not about the solemn no. nonsense of proselytism, it's about having some coffee with your neighbors. Yes, the spiritual moral values such as the in the worship of those Indian gods, the Hindu gods, is that what we're supposed to uh, you know, share? Well, they and, won't be serving burgers at that get-together, no, that's for sure. This is... <laughs> well, at least they, they preserve the atmosphere from... Well, no, I guess they don't because they're, those cows are allowed to roam free, so I guess they are... Uh, they have their own uh, flatulence problem in India too. Those climate also. change, those climate yeah. change monsters. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, no. This again is uh, reducing religion to pure opinion uh, and uh, perfectly modernist. That that you have your uh, religious experience and others have their religious experiences and. Yeah, everyone must respect the other's religious experience. That's modernism condemned by Pius X. Uh, uh, you know, moral values and experiences in a spirit of truth and love. Uh, it, it's it's the abandonment of Catholic dogma. 
it's the abandonment of the Catholic faith. I mean, this is, this is, this is uh, essentially atheism. Paragraph 274, from our faith experience and from the wisdom accumulated over centuries, but also from lessons learned from our many weaknesses and failures, we, the believers of the different religions, know that our witness to God benefits our societies. I wonder how, I wonder how uh, the, the native people in Mexico felt about the Aztecs yes. <laughs> benefiting society. The yes. effort to seek Satan in the form of a snake. <laughs> <laughs> the effort to seek God with a sincere heart, provided it is never sullied by ideological or self-serving aims, helps us recognize one another as traveling companions, truly brothers and sisters. We are convinced that when, in the name of an ideology, there is an attempt to remove God from a society, that society ends up adoring idols, and very soon men and women lose their way, their dignity is trampled, and their rights violated. You know well how much suffering is caused by the denial of freedom of conscience and of religious freedom, and how that wound leaves a humanity which is impoverished because it lacks hopes, hope and ideals to guide it. Yeah, it's Vatican too. It's, it's uh, the freedom of conscience and freedom of religion, you know, in the sense that all religions have a right to exist and propagate themselves, uh, is the ideal norm. Uh, of the world, and that uh, that uh, that that helps uh, uh, countries uh, in some way flourish. You know, it's it's uh, so yeah, it's Vatican II. It's you know, there's nothing really new there. Uh, the idea being that there is no one true religion, and that uh, all religions should be recognized as having equal value. Condemned by Pope Pius IX, uh, you know, just more of the same. Paragraph two eighty two, which is quite late in the encyclical, it follows that we believers need to find occasions to speak with one another and to act together for the common good and the promotion of the poor. This has nothing to do with watering down or concealing our deepest convictions when we encounter others who think differently than ourselves. For the deeper stronger and richer our own identity is, the more we will be capable of enriching others with our own proper contribution. We believers are challenged to return to our sources in order to concentrate on what is essential, worship of God and love for our neighbor, lest some of our teachings taken out of context end up feeding forms of contempt, hatred, xenophobia, or negation of others. The truth is that violence has no basis in our fundamental religious convictions, but only in their distortion. Yeah, the the whole theme throughout the uh, throughout is that there is no objective dogma that we're all groping for the truth. Uh, we all have contributions to make. We all have our own personal religious experiences, and we can learn from one another. And that there is, you know, the basics are that we worship God, whoever you know that God is, and we have love for our neighbor. Uh, so this uh, denies everything in the Old Testament and in the New and the whole history of the church and everything that the church teaches. But besides that, it's okay. I'm being sarcastic. In other words, it, it is... I always go back to the golden calf. You know, how does this... Do the people who worship the golden calf, do they, uh, do they have deep and strong 
identities and, and did they enrich <laughs> others with their own proper contribution <laughs> about the the you know the divinity of the golden calf and why we believe in the golden calf or or Moloch, you know, like the worshippers of Moloch and offering their babies to Moloch. Mm. I mean, do they? We should talk to them and have dialogue with them and walk with them and learn from them, you know, as they would sacrifice their babies to Moloch. You know, do I go on? You know, <laughs> uh, worship of God, Moloch, and love for our neighbor, except your baby lest some of our teachings taken out of context end up feeling forms of contempt. Well, we can't think that worshiping Moloch is bad because that's contempt or hatred or xenophobia. You see? Uh, so, uh, you know, that... Uh, so, it's, it's... What do you say? I mean, it's so nonsensical. <laughs> I, I, I know you are, so we have to continue to, shall we say, plow, plow through it. Uh, All right. Paragraph uh, pivoting forward into what he wants to enforce this as world government and paragraph 124. Nowadays, a firm belief in the common destination of the earth's goods requires that this principle also be applied to nations, their territories and their resources. Seen from the standpoint, not only of the legitimacy of private property and the rights of its citizens, but also of the first principle of the common destination of goods, we can then say that each country also belongs to the foreigner, inasmuch as a territory's goods must not be denied to a needy person coming from elsewhere. As the bishops of the United States have taught, there are fundamental rights that precede any society because they flow from the dignity granted to each person as created by God. Yeah, this is trying to make socialism out of a general moral principle that private property is limited by the extreme need, extreme need, that's a very important point, of somebody. So, for example, if your family were starving, that's extreme need, you could go and take food out of a supermarket because of the general principle that all things belong ultimately to God and that th those things should not be denied you in extreme necessity. But that means extreme, that means survival necessity. So, yes, in that sense, it's true. That, but that doesn't mean, that doesn't conclude to what he's saying, that you own the, the resources of a nation. Nations are extended families. But this puts everybody on the whole earth in a single nation, effectively. And just as you protect your home and build up your home and, and do things that pertain to private property, so also you do that with your nation. And your nation benefits by the, the uh, work and honesty uh, of the citizens and also the wisdom of the government. Uh, and, and nations perish and, and suffer from, in many cases, the laziness of their citizens and the corruption of their government. And places that have lazy citizens and corrupt governments should not have a right to the wealth and the resources of nations that have good government and honest populations that work hard. That's private property. Private property means that you have the right to keep what you worked for. And, and so, now, should there be charity to 
say, certain nations that might be starving because of drought or, or some other reason. Yes, of course there should be charity. That's an obligation. It's no less of an obligation than obligations of justice. But it's on the title of charity. That is, your suffering, we are alleviating your suffering. See? And, and I don't think the rich nations have been remiss in that. You know, when there's suffering in Africa, for example, with droughts and all, there's always been attempts to, to, uh, to alleviate that. But many times those attempts were thwarted by the corruption of the governments in those countries. Uh, and with Venezuela, for, you know, people uh, didn't have enough to eat because of their socialist government. That doesn't mean that they have a right to, to you know, tap into the, the wealth of the United States. And by the way, did you ever notice how fat the, the, uh, the government military officials were? They're all fat. Did you notice that? Whereas the people, poor people are starving. They can't get enough food. And, and their government is fat, including that leader, Maduro, right? He's fat. So he has plenty to eat. Yeah, it's so typical of socialist regimes. There's a socialist hierarchy uh, that that just lives. They live like kings. I, I think. I think. I think it's a requirement. You're actually because if you look, you've got you've got Mao Zedong. You've got all the the yes. ill, the, the unfamily, the uh, sorry, the Kim family in North Korea. You have yes. the Russians. You pointed out with Khrushchev and yes, none, none of these people were Brezhnev Weight Watchers. Was fat. He was as poster fat as children. <laughs> Uh, Gorbachev was a little chubby himself, you know. I mean, yeah, it, 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 socialism breeds that very that elite In, indolence. Yes, uh, and that they they live off of the misery of the people that they have enslaved, and that's what this is is really inviting. Yes, we're coming on to your calling card here, Your, your Excellency. Paragraph one thirty eight. Although this has always been true, never has it been more evident than in our own day when the world is interconnected by globalization. We need to attain a global juridical, political, and economic order, which can increase and give direction to international cooperation for the development of all peoples in solidarity. Ultimately, this will benefit the entire world, since development aid for poor countries implies creating wealth for all. From the standpoint of integral development, this presupposes giving poorer nations an effective voice in shared decision-making and the capacity to facilitate access to the international market on the part of countries suffering from poverty and underdevelopment. You're right. This is the, the as I said, the engraved uh, invitation to uh, world uh, economy, world socialism, where uh, everybody has a say uh, in, in, you know, what, where their wealth will be spread around. And, and so, you know, you'll have to pay a tax so that, uh, the corrupt governments of various nations, you know, can can live in a more corrupt manner. I mean, you, know, you look at some of these nations where people are living in poor conditions. They should not be. I mean, I just am thinking of Nigeria. The there's so much oil in Nigeria. They should be as rich as Texas. Lagos should be like Dallas or Houston. You know, I'm just thinking of that. Instead, you went to Nigeria. Instead, I did. I did, and you know? they don't even have 24-hour electricity. Right. In such a country in which that, that is almost an impossibility. Right. And the Nigerian seminarians tell me here that the reason for that is that so that you will buy a generator because the generator people have a, some arrangement with the government so that they can sell more generators. 
So if you have, have 24 hour electricity, who needs a generator? And right. then the people who sell the fuel, who's right. going to buy fuel for generators? So those right. people have their money in right. with the government. And every now and then the power gets shut off to remind everybody right. that they need generators. Right. And my experience with Nigerians is that they're hardworking. <laughs> they, I mean, they're, they're not lazy. They, they are upstanding. You know, uh, maybe I'm seeing a sort of a better cut of Nigerians, but uh, the uh, I've seen quite a few of them come through here, and and they they are not uh, an indolent people as as far as I'm concerned. I mean, uh, I I think that the their problem is a corrupt government, and we cannot permit these corrupt governments to start dictating to the Western world that has worked like dogs for what it has, and where there's opportunity for the little man to make it big. That's the that's the United States. People coming off the boat and making a decent wage, that is the United States, and that's what made it great. Uh, and uh, for them to impose this idea of a corrupt elite that's living off of the misery of the peasants, that's what he's calling for. I mean, he cannot. The Vatican cannot even manage its own its own money. Why is he talking to us about economics? Didn't they just have another big scandal? Wasn't some cardinal just canned for for? Didn't they lose twenty five million dollars or something like that? I mean, that that would be the smallest amount the Vatican Bank has lost in the it's last. It's one 20 after years. the other since Paul the Sixth. They can't even manage their own their own people, and he's calling for you know decision making by you know. He's, you know. He continues on paragraph one seventy two when we talk about the possibility of some form of world authority regulated by law. We need not necessarily think of a personal authority. Still, such an authority ought at least to promote some effective world organizations, equipped with the power to provide for the global common good, the elimination of hunger and poverty, and the sure defense of fundamental human rights. He doesn't rule out the Antichrist. Your XC isn't that nice. Uh, we no. need not necessarily think yes. of a personal authority. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, somebody's got to... What what is a robot going to do it or a computer? <laughs> I mean, what is he talking about? But yeah, necessarily a, a world authority. That's the Antichrist. That's definitely he's just described world socialism, and and now he's got the Antichrist here. So this is the printed invitation to the Antichrist, uh, and equipped with the power to provide for the global common good. That means if you don't conform, you get punished. You see, and you you might get taxed. Your bank accounts might get get automatically drawn from. Is where they you know you find out in your statement that oh by the way the world government took out a hundred dollars for or ten thousand dollars because uh, it found some hunger in in some place some remote place, and you have to pay. That's what that means. And you see the power to provide for the global common good, the elimination of hunger. And poverty, you see, there's people that don't make as much as you make. So you have to give some of what you make to them and then be equalized. That's what that we, means. We, we've seen some shadows of this. We talked about this a little bit uh, earlier in the year. We talked in the Behind the Headlines series. We talked about uh, vaccine passports and a cashless society. And these are the instruments of world government without you know, part of having a world government is making sure everyone's money is tracked 
that your health record is attached to that. You can't board an airplane unless you flash your COVID-free QR code. Mm. And if not, you'll have some credits taken out. And those are all instruments of, he says he's calling for uh, this world authority here. Mm -hmm. Yes. Paragraph 173 is the coup de grace. There is need to prevent this organization, the United Nations, from being delegitimized. (laughs) He wants to make sure those those cars can park anywhere they want in New York. Yes. It's it's plenty of parking these days since that city's been hollowed out. Yes. Um, Paragraph 183, charity, with its impulse to universality, is capable of building a new world. There you go. There you go. Yeah, where everybody's uh, you know all under the Antichrist, and where he provides for everybody equally, and we're all happy, and we have no dogma, and uh, we all love one another. If this this part of world government concludes in paragraph uh, two fifty seven, and again uh, for our listeners, these are we're reading the paragraphs out of order, but what um, I've I've done is organize this thematically. So we're reading about different paragraphs that all relate to the same theme. So paragraph 257 is the last one on this one of world government, which we first started talking about in paragraph 100. Since conditions that favor the outbreak of wars are once again increasing, I can only reiterate that war is the negation of all rights and a dramatic assault on the environment. If we want... (laughs) If we want true integral human development for all, we must work tirelessly to avoid war between nations and peoples. To this end, there is a need to ensure the uncontested rule of law and tireless recourse to negotiation, mediation, and arbitration as proposed by the Charter of the United Nations, which constitutes truly a fundamental juridical norm. The 75 years since the establishment of the United Nations and the experience of the first 20 years of this millennium have shown that the full application of international norms proves truly effective and that failure to comply with them is detrimental. The charter yeah, of right. the un- Yeah, right. <laughs> truly char- effective. <laughs> well, effective I'm thinking- in, provi- in helping the restaurants in New York stay afloat. <laughs> well, they do. The charter of the United Nations, when observed and applied with transparency and sincerity, is an obligatory reference point of justice and a channel of peace. Here there right. can be no no room for disguising false intentions or placing the partisan interests of one country or group above the global common good. Who no, is he talking never, about, Your never Excellency? Never did that happen in the U. Never, <laughs> never happened. <laughs> if, if, if rules are considered simply as means to be used whenever it proves advantageous and to be ignored when it is not, the history of the UN. Uncontrollable forces are unleashed that cause grave harm to societies, to the poor and vulnerable, to fraternal relations, oh, don't forget, to the environment, and to cultural treasures with irretrievable losses for the global community. Again, undermined here, what he could say when he he talked earlier, says, well, what is the way that humankind can be united under the law of Christ? We talk about a... Uh, relationship and and making sure there's no war. Again, this would be Christ and his church. I'm thinking of the times in Christendom, um, and I imagine how tedious it must have been to be the Holy Father at this time politically, because he had, you know, the the King of England would be upset about something with the King of Spain, and then they would go to him, say, all right, Holy Father, you fix this. And he said, I'm busy trying to run the church. I've got to solve your backyard problems. 
But they went to him and yes. he would fix it. It wouldn't necessarily please either side, mm-hmm. but there was a decision and no United Nations charter necessary. No, no, no. They, they have many, there are many cases of popes intervening um, and even excommunicating people who, who waged war unjustly. Many cases of that in, in church history. No, it, it's a, uh, no, it, it's a, <sighs> It's a, a, a world that is prepared for Antichrist, and this, as I said, is the, is the engraved invitation. What makes me uh, baffled is the Novus Ordo conservatives reading this. I mean, when are they going to figure it out? This is, you know, he's inviting the Antichrist. He's inviting world socialism under a, a single world government. This is uh, his... his what else do we need? What else? And there's still Una come with him. They, they uh, what? What else is there to say? He, he's inviting the Antichrist. He's, you you he's said on a previous all of the logic of the Antichrist. You said on a previous Francis Watch, your see that if he were to be naked on the balcony of Saint Peter, saying there is no, there is no Catholic God, it would still not be enough. Right. For these people, they would no. say, well, you know, if he makes this, then, yes. then that. Um, or the, the state of Acantists, <laughs> convince state of Acantists to attend the Unicum Mass and to mm-hmm. offer their sacrifice to God from the hands of Bergoglio through a priest that mentions that disgusting name in the canon. They, well, are, to be, think- they are most to be reproached. I think to be consistent, they should start mentioning the United Nations in the Unicode. Yes. I mean, it's not the, enough. The head of the United Nations, yes. Wh- whoever that is, that should be. Some big wig in the United Nations that recently said that this COVID crisis shows the need for a world government because, <laughs> you know, this. It, uh, I, I saw it, it was a month or so ago. I mean, that's why I, uh, the, the timing of this is, it bothers me a little bit. There's a, I don't know if it's a paper uh, or a, I think it's a white paper or possibly a book called The Great Reset. And it's from somebody who sits on one of these boards, the World Bank or whatever, but he outlines, okay, well, what are we going to do now that COVID has ground our world to a halt? Let's make a, a more just society mm-hmm. and uh, the social engineering that's coming. No, I have always said that uh, in order to usher an antichrist, you need a world crisis. Mm. People have to be desperate, and then they'll take it. Who, who would have thought over, I mean, I, I would have thought it would have been a real disease, Your Excellency, not some fake uh, fake cold. Right. But it ter- turns out it doesn't take much to, to stop humanity. Um, this this next section I, I titled The Good Samaritan Reimagined. It's on my mind because liturgically, we, we only read it a few Sundays ago. Mm-hmm. Um, paragraph 66, may we not sink to such depths. Let us look to the example of the Good Samaritan. Jesus' parable summons us to dis- rediscover our vocations as citizens of our respective nations and of the entire world, builders of a new social bond. Paragraph 67, the parable eloquently presents the basic decision we need to make in order to rebuild our wounded world. In the face of so much pain and suffering, our only course is to imitate the Good Samaritan any other decision would make us either one of the robbers or one of those who walked by without showing compassion for the sufferings of the man on the roadside. The parable shows us 
how a community can be rebuilt by men and women who identify with the vulnerability of others, who reject the creation of a society of exclusion right. and act instead as neighbors, lifting up and rehabilitating the fallen for the sake of the common good. At the time, it warns us. At the same time, it warns us about the attitude of those who think only of themselves and fail to shoulder the inevitable responsibilities of life as it is. Yes. So, yes. So the, the we're all guilty for not helping the poor. See, that's uh, so the poor man is, is the uh, the we have to stop and help society uh, reestablish itself. Actually, you know the. You know, since World War II, there has not been, uh, for what, 75 years now, there has not been any major war. You know, and you think about it, I mean, the world is not that bad off. And the, the, the uh, nuclear arms have, have provided a deterrent to it. It's kept the, the big powers from waging war on each other. I mean, the wars are usually, you know, between lesser powers that don't have nuclear weapons. But the idea of mutual destruction has really kept the major powers from, from having a world war. You know, it, it's uh, when you consider, you know, the, the wars of the 19th century and the 20th century, I mean, it's been fairly good. Uh, and and uh, so, I mean, it's not, you know, as they say in the South, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, it, it is uh, uh, it's managed to to hold itself together rather well. You know, it's uh, uh, and he's he's the big friend of China, which is the 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 big threat to the world now. If anybody is threatening world peace, it's China, and he's you know buddy buddy with the Chinese. Imagine how much money they must have given the Vatican for them to get that. That uh, it must have been a big sum of money for them to get that agreement with the Vatican, only to have it spent, you know, foolishly by some idiot in the Vatican who doesn't know how to control money, or some <laughs> corrupt official in the Vatican. Yeah. I, I I shudder to think what the, what it was spent on. Your Excellency, yes. I, yes. I don't want to imagine. Yes. Um, paragraph seventy one. Jesus trusts in the best of the human spirit. With this parable, he encourages us. He encourages us to persevere in love, to restore dignity to the suffering, and to build a society worthy of the name. There is nothing in all of his interpretation of the Good Samaritan that sounds like anything I've ever heard from one of your sermons, any sermons from Saint Gertrude's, any sermons from any uh, Catholic priests. It's a new interpretation. I've never seen this before, Your Excellency, of the Good Samaritan. No, the parable of the Good Samaritan was actually to humiliate the Jews. That the that the uh, it was to point out uh, the he- hero of the story is a foreigner. Yes, that that uh, and that the it was to break down the idea uh, that that the the Jews were the sole would be the sole possessors as they were in the past of. Uh, the friendship of God. It was, it was, it was constantly telling the Jews that it's going to be given to somebody else. And, you know, that if you continue to be unfaithful to me as, as the true Messiah, your vocation is going to be given to somebody else. That, that, was, that was the purpose of that parable. And many, many other statements of our Lord. 
uh, the fig tree and many, many other statements. He was constantly reminding them of that and constantly trying to urge them to accept him as the true Messiah. So, I mean, that, that's, that this is all just, you notice this constant theme of a new world, a new society, is that, that, that what we have is, is uh, intrinsically unjust and that it needs to be fixed and we need a whole new world, a whole new society, a whole new economics, a whole new world government. He's got some sort of scheme involved here. This is not just encouraging people to get along. There's, there's some sort of scheme, some dark scheme that is present here. And, and uh, uh, you know, it, it, to me, it's very disquieting. But I've always said, you know, I said back in the 90s that we're in pre-Antichrist times. You know, and it's going to come. So, you know, we're not going to avoid the Antichrist, whether Trump gets elected or not. I mean, Trump might put it off for a while, but the, the, it's coming. It, it's a tsunami that's going to hit us. And so we have to prepare for that. By the way, Macron just uh, said he would suppress all homeschooling in France. I don't know if you know that. Well, October 1st, he said that. So that's putting the French into a panic and that he's going to make life miserable. He didn't say it that way, but life miserable for the uh, non-chartered schools, the sans contrat, or uh, you know, uh, yeah, in other words, without, without contract. Uh, that means independent schools. I so, trust the French to find a solution, Your Excellency. They, they, they usually do uh, well, find a way, but... Father Duterte texted me or emailed me saying that there are French that are asking for a school in the U.S., like a French school in the U.S., mm. uh, you know, a pensionnat, or a boarding school. And, uh, well, it would be easier to send them to Quebec, the French uh, and the Canada. Well, Canada is uh, not much better. You can't have a school there. The government is very, very uh, oppressive with regard to homeschooling, especially province of Quebec. Ontario is better. But province of Quebec... Well, it's French, you know. It's French tend to be <laughs> radical about everything they do. You know, they, they, <laughs> they're either they, radi radically for our Lord or radically against. They him. are. They are. That you know, there is no, no middle, middle way for, for the French. <laughs> they they have a a relentless logic. That's what I've always noticed about the French. They 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 are extremely logical, and if they're going to be bad, they're going to be logically bad, and everything has to be bad. Or if they're good, then it's going to be very good. You know, there's no slouching with them. I always notice that about them. One or the other. I, I, it's and been so seven he's years here. At these homeschoolers <laughs> and these these uh, you know independent schools, and they've got to go. I mean, the guillotine has to come out, and this has to be the reign of terror. That that's that's it. The speech, uh, the phrase he used, I think, was that essentially laïcité must be the cement of French society, which, yes. which is a joke, right. which is a joke, of course, given that the cement of French society, anywhere, anytime you go out on the road, you go to these villages, you will see a church, you will see statues, you will see roadside shrines right. everywhere in this country. Yes. And that is the cement of France. Anything yes. else is just pretend. The idea yes. that laïcité is the cement of France. Right. I mean, it's a joke. Yeah. Um, he saves the unpleasant surprise for the conservative Novus Ordos and the Neo-Trads at the very end of the encyclical, Your Excellency. 
he doubles down on the abolition of the death penalty. Paragraph 263, there is yet another way to eliminate others, one aimed not at countries, but at individuals. It is the death penalty. St. John Paul II stated clearly and firmly that the death penalty is inadequate from a moral standpoint and no longer necessary from that of penal justice. There can be no stepping back from this position. Today, we state clearly that the death penalty is inadmissible and the church is firmly committed to calling for its abolition worldwide. And to our conservative Novus Ordos, if this was Pius X and the phrase was, we state clearly that the death penalty is inadmissible and the church is firmly committed to calling for its abolition worldwide in an encyclical. Mm-hmm. They will, but we're going to resist that idea in the encyclical. They would never do that. No, but you know, I, 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 what do you say to them? You know, they're, they, they are desperately trying to somehow uh, save his papacy because they they see the his papacy as something necessary for the continuity of the church, uh, and they want to be loyal to the Pope, and so they they have to go through jump through fiery hoops, logically and theologically, in order to preserve him. I mean that's their motive. They don't like him. They wish that he were not the Pope, uh, but the that. They have to preserve him, seeing his papacy as necessary for being Catholic. And, and you know, uh, what do you say to that? Well, I think as always, you've you've talked about this. I, I think in almost two or three episodes now, you're actually because it keeps coming up because the death penalty, so-called abolition, has kept coming up. But here he he's quoting Saint Augustine to defend himself. Uh, paragraph 265, from the earliest centuries of the church, some were clearly opposed to capital punishment. Lactantius, for example, held that there ought to be no exception at all, that it is always unlawful to put a man to death. Pope Nicholas I urged that efforts be made to free from the punishment of death not only each of the innocent, but all the guilty as well. During the trial of the murderers of two priests, St. Augustine asked the judge not to take the life of the assassins with this argument. We do not object to your depriving these wicked men of the freedom to commit further crimes. Our desire is rather that justice be satisfied without the taking of their lives or the maiming of their bodies in any part. And at the same time, that by the coercive measures provided by the law, they be turned from their irrational fury to the calmness of men of sound mind and from their evil deeds to some useful employment. This too is considered a condemnation, but who does not see that when savage violence is restrained and remedies meant to produce repentance are provided, it should be considered a benefit rather than a mere punitive measure. Do not let the atrocity of their sins feed a desire for vengeance, but desire instead to heal the wounds which those deeds have inflicted on their souls. Yeah, well, first of all, I think you'd have to see the context of all of these. You know, what are they referring to? Uh, What what crime did they commit uh, that St. Augustine is referring to? I mean, this is just a quote. Secondly, it's not the teaching of the church. These are the opinions of Lactantius and even of Nicholas I. I mean, he's, he's saying, uh, you know, it's something he urged. The, uh, uh, so, you know, it's, 
the teaching of the church is that it is legitimate to put people to death uh, for crimes. That's the teaching not, of the Catholic not, Church. Not just legitimate, um, Your Excellency, but at times it's called for, is it not? I don't know that moral theology would ever say that you must, but it's legitimate, and, and uh, you have... Uh, in a situation uh, in which you could not house somebody, let's say you don't have a prison in which there's maximum security and the person could mm -hmm. escape again, it would seem that that would, that would be a case in which you'd yes, have to use yes. That. Yes, you know, that the common good is more important than the individual good and that the state has the right to deprive somebody of his life or the common good. You know, justly, obviously, justly, you know, but uh, um, I mean, that's the teaching of the church. And, you know, individual cases, the church will never say to any country, you must have a death penalty. It's not its place to say that. It's just saying this is the teaching, this is the moral teaching, that this is a something permissible. What does the conservative Novus Ordo say when they, their buddy at, at work says, hey, I read that uh, Francis got rid of the death penalty. How do you feel about that? And he's going to say, well, he doesn't speak for me. But yeah, can you imagine? Yeah. Uh, yes. You know, and that, you know, really does a lot of good for uh, Catholic apologetics that, well, he's the Pope, but we can ignore him. You know, uh, that's, you know, it just destroys the whole fabric of Catholicism. It's the way they, what they used to say when Paul VI said, you can't use the pill. All the liberals said, well, what does he know? Well, again, Your Excellency, I, I'm going to stop here only because there's only so much you can take and there's only so much our listeners can take. I agree. Um, and if we're looking for uh, a future episode, our last one of this year, we, we may come back to this, although, I mean, who knows what will happen in the next 90 days. Yes. Uh, as we head towards the end of this, uh, as you say, strange year. I think my sensitivity has, has not been as sharp as yours, Your Excellency, because I think I've been so dulled by 2020 that you could tell me tomorrow, oh, well, an entire nation was just wiped out by a tsunami. And I'd say, well, it's 2020. It's not that big of a deal. Uh, but you are seeing all of these things come together, and I think you have a point. Although I always like to point out to you, you're not one for so-called conspiracy theories. No, no, I'm but not it, at all. It, cer it certainly looks like one <laughs> this it year. It does. It does. You, know, uh, you can't be uh, blind either. You know, and When you see pattern, you have to look for a cause of the pattern. Patterns do not happen by themselves. And, and so, yeah, I'm not the one to jump to uh, conspiracy theories at all. Uh, and, but uh, I, the timing of this thing is uh, troubling to me. Uh, the, this, if he, it was just a thing about we should all get along and we should have no dogmas, well, that I wouldn't worry about it or give it much consideration. But the fact that it, you know, we're calling for world government and a new order, and a new fraternity, and a whole transformation of the planet, that is very disquieting. It, it's a charter document from somebody who is still purportedly a global leader, because mm -hmm. he wears this costume. Yes. And so someone can point to this, even a secular leader, or this could be, they could be invited to address the United Nations. Say, yes. well, here we've got, we've got a charter, a new yes. charter, yes. for a new mankind. Yes. Yes, it's all loaded with that stuff. It's you can see a 
it, it, you can see that he's talking to people. I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't even write this. Uh, I don't think he's got the brains to write this. <laughs> the, the, uh, he's talking to people. I mean, he, he's, he's in the loop of the dark forces, certainly. Absolutely. No doubt about it. He's been hired by the dark forces to, to contribute his part. That's my opinion. Well, uh, to fight against the dark forces, we need the forces of light, Your mm-hmm. Excellency. And uh, there are some, hopefully, forces of light being trained uh, yes. at, at the seminary now. Um, can you give us an update on, on Pennsylvania and on the current school year? Yes, we, um, let's see, we have presently, uh, let me think, uh, in-house, we have uh, 13 seminarians. We had originally uh, uh, 16 here, but two left right at the beginning of the year. One went back to the CMRI, and the other went to study with Father Francis Miller in Louisiana. Uh, one had come from CMRI, he went back, uh, and uh, the other always wanted to be a Franciscan, so I think that was his decision. So, uh, uh, And then uh, one uh, recently left, uh, uh, convinced he didn't have a vocation. That's kind of normal at the you know, first, between now and Christmas, that's fairly normal. You said that before, you don't count them until Christmas. Your yes, Christmas. yes. They, they just discover it's not for them. And, and so... But we have uh, two, uh, let's see, we have the Nigerian, uh, Benjamin. He is supposed to come if, if the, the visas are issued in January. And Henri Chapeau-de-Chanoni, French, who is supposed to come also in January. Uh, so, uh, and then we have at present six who are, have expressed serious interest for next year. So that would give us, what does that add up to? That would be if we, and now Henri Chapeau-de-Chanoni would be be ordained and sent most likely to Nantes in France. All right. Uh, And uh, from there, he would, in there, he would help Father Guépin in Nantes. and, uh, And I would also like to see him go to England maybe twice a month. Dare I say there are easy jet flights that go from uh, Nantes to England? I yes, think. Yes, I hope they're still operating. But uh, the uh, yes, there, there's. Uh, well, I told them that that you know that that servicing England from Nantes would be quite easy, and uh, so I would like him to do that. And uh, but it's actually yeah. quite tra- traditional to service England uh, from the continent. Yes, yes, <laughs> it's true. I mean, England was always served by others uh, you know, <laughs> since the Reformation, uh, and uh, but. Uh, we're hoping for some of these English young men. We have a UK citizen here now, and we're hoping for some of these other English English young men. There's, I think, four of them. Four of the six, I think, are English uh, young men. I have to count them, but uh, there's uh, this one fellow, Frankie Logue, in England, is uh, you know getting everybody uh, stirred up and convincing everybody, and uh, and uh, so. Uh, but yeah, this, this, uh, this interest, when I say interested, that means, you know, they haven't necessarily signed up, but, uh, they are showing interest. And, um, uh, so that would be, yeah, 21, you know, if everybody stays and everybody comes 
Now, this is only the beginning of the year. If there are six interested at the beginning of the academic year, that means there, there will be, if everything goes the way it usually does, 10 interested by April. See, so, and if half of those come, uh, then I have, I'll have 20. See, so already, you know, we're far beyond uh, our, I, I we, was gonna say, we have 13 rooms here. I was going to say, I don't know if there's room in Pennsylvania for the, the, the wave house, that's coming. <laughs> we could house 25 comfortably in Pennsylvania. I was going to say, but, but 25 is not far off from 20-something. No, <laughs> it isn't. And uh, there's, we did, a, you know, we had the planning and, uh, planning and zoning meeting, and we called for 37 rooms. Well, there's our, we wanted approved for 37 okay. individual rooms and occupancy for 37. So... Now that includes the priests, you know. So that's why I'm saying 25 comfortably because you have to have certain guest rooms and and priest rooms, etc. So, uh, uh, but you know, we do move them through, and you know, not everyone stays. A lot of them, uh, you know, don't stay, and and uh, so you, there's attrition. And you lose some. So. Uh, I think it'll hold us for maybe, you know, five, ten years. I, I, I can't predict the future, but I'm going to do a video telling people that this is a whole new world for the seminary now. I mean, you know, I used to have seven or eight. Now I'm looking at numbers that far exceed uh, our, our capacities, not only our physical capacities, but also financial capacities. And and all sorts of other considerations. I mean, we we spent at least fifteen thousand dollars just on extra furniture for these people this year, yeah, desks and chairs, and and then the food bill. The you should see our food bill. And well, you know, for our listeners who don't up. know, uh, seminarians eat like locusts. Uh, they, they just do. They, they just oh. do. They're, they're young men, and you know they have big appetites. Uh, logistically, Your Excellency, at some point, does it make sense to devolve some of this to the locality? So, for example, would someone do a couple years with Father Eldracker in Australia or with Father Nkamuke in Nigeria before coming to the seminary? And so by the time they come to the seminary, they're ready to be tonsured, and they're... Does that make sense? No, or, or it, it doesn't. No, well, uh, now Zoom is changing everything. Because uh, we were teaching the Nigerian seminarians, there's three Nigerian seminarians that were teaching by Zoom. They in Nigeria? In, yeah, they're in Nigeria. Now, the time difference is such that that's tolerable. You see, so if you're in Europe, we're also teaching RE certain courses uh, in France because the time element is, is tolerable, but it's not tolerable in Australia. In Australia. <laughs> I always say, if the sun is up here, it's down in Australia and vice versa. You know, so uh, I can tell by the emails that I get at 3 a.m., you know, the, from Australia. Uh, the, uh, uh, so, um, the, so uh, no, that wouldn't work for that reason. Uh, but, you know, when a priest is very involved in the apostolate, he doesn't have time for courses. And not every priest is capable of teaching courses. Mm. You know, it's it's a certain elite, you might say, that is capable of doing that. And uh, so many times the seminarian would be languishing by himself and, and you know, not having, because the priest is out someplace. And like Father Duterte goes to Sudbury in, in uh, Ontario. He goes to Windsor. 
those are long distances. I mean, that's that's a nine, ten hour drive, or uh, you know, it, it's yeah. He drives everything. I always forget that North American scale is is so yeah. <laughs> unbelievable. In Canada, you know, the United States looks like a pipsqueak in comparison <laughs> to, to to Canada. Everything is far. Everything, everything is far. And and uh, so uh, no, he, you know, he's not there all the time. It, you need a very very stable situation for a seminary. Very stable and deep deep commitment of the faculty to running the seminary. Otherwise, you will have a poor product. So I think what we would have to do in the future, though, is split the seminary. This is where we have, you know, the first couple of years in one place and the the next couple of years. But we'll need more money. I mean, this is... So the ph- philosophy at one place, yes, the theology. Yes, separately. there's nothing wrong with that as long as you have a faculty covering both. And Zoom makes a lot of things possible. You can share the faculty. So... Uh, that's good, but this is the whole, everybody that is going to benefit from these priests must contribute to the seminary. It's a very, it's a very good problem to have, right? Your excellency. No, it isn't. It's a terrible problem to have because (laughs) probably 75% of our income comes from the state of Florida and the state of Michigan. Hmm. Probably seventy-five percent, if it may be more, and that's not right, because people who are going to benefit, and practically everybody who is of our convictions, is going to benefit down the line from what this seminary is doing. All of us are going to die off. I'm seventy, so I might go another what five, ten years, you know, if I'm lucky. There's Maybe a bullet not. with there's a bullet with your name on it. There's a bullet with my name on it. So and who knows? I might be drooling in a few years, or I might be like Joe Biden, you know, in a few years. <laughs> you know, no, I mean, you know, it can happen. I, 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 there's there's a sermon you gave, I think, almost ten years ago. Now you were up at St. Gertrude's raising money for the seminary, and you said, in a few years, um, you know, Father Father Chicano will be you know be coming out of a wheelchair. I'll be drooling somewhere, and so uh, yes, you know, we've. True. we've we know that you're going to to get older, and you're right. Uh, so so far, Michigan, Florida, and Slovakia, I suppose, recently. Well, yes, yes, Slovakia, and uh, yeah, other other sources in Europe actually, and uh, the uh, um, so I mean, it, we need it's a whole new era. It's not something that we can support from the local parish, just as a cone became an international seminary. So we have to think of the future as a big institution that will, will grow gradually, but it's going to become a big institution, I think, as time goes on. And that's so why I have to do a video informing people of that, that this is not just your local seminary or your, you know, your little seminary you know, that we happen to have. This is getting to be something bigger. But I suppose what I meant by that, you see, is, you know, in 1995, there was you know, no problem because the, how are we going to get ordination? But but now the question is, do we have enough enough room or, you know, are people going to be sleeping in the hallway? Uh, I suppose that's a better, better problem to have than to not have a path to ordination. And so, yes, we're in a yeah, much, much stronger position now. Yes. You know, it's, it's just uh, so I have to. Alert people to that, you know, and, and everybody has to participate in, and and you know, it's a whole different kind of approach to the seminary as far as supporting it and expanding it. 
Uh, well, I can only encourage people to to visit the seminary website. Remember that you can get the newsletter for free if you make an annual contribution of at least seventy five dollars. And uh, recently, Father Disposito has taken some new um, initiatives to have. Uh, you're talking about Zoom for the seminarians, but uh, now, thanks to Father's initiative, we have a Zoom for the casual YouTube watcher. So That's we fun. can drop in on seminary courses. And His Excellency had a, a wonderful conference recently on the Evangelical Councils. It's about 20 minutes or so. And you can find it at Roman Catholic Media if you search for that on YouTube. And obviously, that needs to be supported separately from the seminary as well. So all of these things take money. And money has to come from us. It's not going to come from the clergy. <laughs> yeah, so we, we have to go be... out and get jobs at McDonald's in our spare time. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, of course that might pollute the environment because of all those cows. Uh, but the the uh, uh, but no, we also are putting up uh, our church history course, uh, which is from uh, about fourteen fifty to seventeen seventy four. That's what we're covering as Father Patrizzi, and uh, putting up uh, uh, every day or every time I have the course, which is twice a week, uh, Modern Errors, which is the, the philosophical part, covering the philosophical errors of the, from about uh, oh, William of Ockham, the 1300s, right up to the 20th century, existentialism. So we're, we're putting those up. And um, uh, we've already gotten calls to put up our philosophy uh, and other courses, now they're very technical, you know, it, it, there's a lot of Latin in them, and uh, they're very technical, uh, so we, that's why we hesitated. But one of our problems is that you need almost a full-time employee to edit these things, to, to put, put them that, up. To make sure that someone's uh, watching them. You know, that, that you think, oh, just record it and put it up. Oh, no. It, that's not also, how it works. And also the, all the technical and recording it, and the quality control and uh, it's very difficult we have a seminarian that's very good at it but i could see you know we can, we can't put everything up because it just takes somebody to, this whole day to right. to keep everything up you know well, so well some of their nights as well cuz they'd have yeah. to do the editing yeah so and then we're putting up the spiritual conferences every day they happen every day so i just did another one today uh, uh continuing the evangelical councils i talked about chastity today Okay, exciting. Well, I'll, I'll, I know what I'll be watching after I finish uh, yes. recording and sending this off for editing. Thankfully, yes. I've got a, a team behind it. Again, uh, thanks to our team for putting together the research for this episode, having to read through Fratelli Tutti. As always, Your Excellency, thank you for your time. And we look forward to your next video about the progress of the seminary. And we'll pray for uh, the upcoming meeting with uh, your hopeful future neighbors, that everything goes well. Mm -hmm. And we'll come back for our final Francis Watch of 2020. Again, who knows what will happen, but uh, I think one of the things that uh, we can hope for, at least to, to put off the apocalypse for four more years, will be the, the re-election <laughs> of the, the president. And right. you will be in a crucial swing state, Excellency. So, Oh, I think uh, I have no doubt that he will take Florida. I don't think there's any doubt whatsoever. Well, you heard it here first, listeners. Again, Your Excellency, thank you for your time as always. All right, thank you. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. 
That's novusordowatch.org.